You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or a battery for your trail camera or a specialized battery for your range finder or a crazy toy that you bought for your kids, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. Stop into a local Interstate Battery retail store, talk with a specialist, get the battery that you need, and go on about your day. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host Adam Parr and you're listening to episode number 73 where I cover Q&A elk hunting scenarios with Ben Gatormson. Hello and thanks again for tuning into the Transition Wild Podcast your source for everything Western big game hunting. Man, it's mid-September, and if you're a bow hunter, there's probably no better time of the year to to be out in the mountains, whether it's Colorado, Montana, Idaho, Oregon. This This is truly a magical time of year if you're chasing elk. So hope you guys are getting it done, you're having fun. It's a it's a heck of an experience, and if it's your first year, Man, it's it can be tough and challenging, but those are some of the best best times. I look back on my first year of elk hunting, and man, I, I went through a whirlwind of challenges and highs and lows. But man, I will never forget that first year and and how great it was. It's the type two fun a lot of the times. Like it kind of sucks when you're doing it in the moment, but when you look back on it, that's just stuff that will live with you forever. So I hope you guys are out there. If you if you guys have a good hunt if you take down an elk and you want to feature a story on transition wild definitely hit me up adam at transitionwild.com would love to hear it or you can go to the contact page on the website as well all right my guest today is ben gatormson i had him on the show about a year ago uh, september of 2019 and we talked high pressured public land elk hunting and it was it was really good i encourage you to go back and, and listen to that episode if you haven't already because that's uh, a wealth of information but this one i wanted to have him back on for more of like a Q&A scenario based style podcast and and i i just straight up ask him a, a number of questions and you know for example like if if you're a beginner non-resident elk hunter how should you prioritize, you know, what's, what's, you know, list out one through five, what's your most important thing you should be working on, whether it's gear, scouting, fitness, shooting, calling, you know, break those down and, and, and why, why do you rank them a certain way? 
we also talk about, you know, style of hunting. Do you prefer, you know, being more mobile and hunting roads or do you want to pack in and go five miles deep? You know, why? Why do you why do you want to do that? And why did you come to that conclusion of what you chose? And then we talk about different in the field scenarios. If you're if you've got a bull that's bugling and goes silent, what would you do? What's your plan on a week long hunt? Walk us through day by day what each day looks like. If you've only got a week to hunt, you've never been there before, and you haven't really scouted it, you really don't know anything, what's day one look like? What's day two look like? And um, a number of these cool questions. So this is really fun. It's a longer episode, so if it's something that, you, you know, you got a long drive, it's perfect for that. So, uh, But a really good episode, a wealth of knowledge, and I really enjoyed this one. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get Ben on the line. Before we begin, today's episode is brought to you by Expedition Archery, manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. Do we just want to roll cool. in? Uh, are we rolling right now? I don't even know. Are we... I think so. Yeah, yeah. I don't Close. know. We're catching up, man. Yeah. Let's keep her going. Yeah. So I've got that. I've got that mule deer hunt, and then I'm doing a first season rifle for okay. cow elk here in Colorado. Just an over the counter unit. Picked up a leftover tag, and then in November I am headed to Oklahoma. So I'm gonna do a nice. combo kind of mule deer and whitetail there during november 7th through the 14th so that'll be pretty cool and what what's going to be neat about that hunt is i'll i'll have my brother with me and about four other four or five of my other good high school buddies that i'm really close with so it'll be kind of like a little reunion hunt for all of us it'll be it'll be pretty cool i'm excited nice very cool we'll see much see how much hardcore hunting i get in that week it it might be a little bit more beer drinking than than anything but we'll see (laughs) You got to have those kind of hunts too, you know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, what what about <laughs> can't you? Can't be all serious, right? I know. Yeah, can't be can't be all, you know. I'm not I'm not any sort of professional like I like I try to be, I guess. So. Sure, sure. What about you, man? What's on tap for the fall for you? Well, um I'm uh I'm I'm hunting Colorado this year cuz I hear it's the best state. <laughs> In no, you stay away for elk. You stay away. So, um, no, I'm going, um, I'm going down to Colorado. Um, so any, any, anybody trying to plan a hunt, uh, definitely look at Colorado. It has the largest Rocky mountain elk population of any <laughs> state in the lower 48. So deciding factor right there. Yeah. I mean, numbers, numbers don't lie. <laughs> Colorado's where it's at. So uh big bulls too i think eastman's killed a giant down there in colorado here what two years ago Um, yeah that's what i heard too so i heard there's one behind every tree it's like it's like the iowa of whitetail hunting you know Uh, giants everywhere yep exactly (laughs) no so I'll, i'll be hunting my home state of montana um i already killed an antelope this fall um that was fun and and typically i go out and uh that was in montana too but i'm like 
I'm like a get it done quick for antelope. It's a busy time of year for me with work. It's, um, so it's, I don't have a ton of time to put in. So I, I mean, I'll, I'll drop blinds and cams on different, uh, you know, either food attraction or water attraction, you know, and it's all, it's all public land. So it's not like I'm, you know, I don't have access to anything special. Anybody could be out there doing it, but with cameras and, and blinds, um, I typically will go out and I'll check my, my cams, you know, within, I mean, typically like night before opener and then I'll sit, sit the blind opening day that, that has the, the best activity. Yeah. And, and this year I had, I had two active spots and I had a, a couple different groups of, of bucks and does coming into one spot. And then opener was on the 15th on Saturday here. Um, and, uh, Got I, had, done, I huh? had a couple, well, yeah, I had, a, I had, a, I had, I had one antelope on one spot and the damn thing would, I mean, in my spot, isn't like that spot. Isn't like a water hole. It's like a, it's like a steep in the middle of the sage where you have higher moisture content and it almost drowned it out all the sage and it's all like clover or sweet clover and just, you know, native grasses and whatnot. Um, and the antelope just kind of, they, they've, favor to it because it does have some some water in it over on the other end of it but i put my blind out in the middle of this opening in the sage that's all grass and um that (laughs) that blind and camera i had pictures of one goat on it for you know over and over and over again one one buck one decent buck and my other camera was getting hit multiple times a day um it was on a water tank Obviously, that's a key source, especially when it's dry in August. Oh, yeah. And, um, I mean, I was getting, you know, 20, 30 pictures a day of, of, you know, two or three different groups that were coming in. And then on the 12th, like, it went dry. Like, I don't know if somebody ran through the particular piece of BLM that it was on and ran everything off, and it took them you know, several days to come back, but I, I didn't have anything after the 12th and I left my blind and camera on that. And I just checked it here. They all showed back up on the 18th. Huh? So that Saturday, Sunday of opening weekend, had I sat that blind, I would not have seen a single antelope. Wow. But the other blind and, and cam that I had out had one goat on it and he was there uh, without without it being on like a specific spot in the kind of the oasis that it was in, um, he was walking by almost daily, and the fact that he was walking within twenty feet of my camera daily tells me he was there every day. Yeah, and um, I went and checked the card, and the reason I know, I mean, I checked the card at like eleven thirty p.m. And he was, he was, he walked by the camera at eight twenty, um, you know, with the sun, you know, setting or having just set like the mountains behind him were lit up, but he was in the shade. Oh, that's cool. And, uh, I thought, well, I got nothing for the last three days on the one cam and I got, I got him here 
two hours before I pulled the card. So I, I, I took a gamble and he was the only goat I had on that camera. And I went in there and, um, within 10 minutes of legal shooting light, you know, I got in the blind well and well before light and he popped his head up about a hundred yards from me and walked down to the opening and started feeding. And, um, he, he fed into 50 yards, which is, which is a super good shot for anybody that's antelope hunted. You know, I don't know what your listener base is, but um, a 50-yard shot on an antelope is like what spot and stock guys are like crossing their fingers for. You know, you don't get very, very seldom you get that, you know, 35, 40, 45-yard shot. So at 50 yards, you know, <clears throat> within my effective range, I didn't want to shoot any further than that just because I haven't had tons of time to shoot this year with two kids and everything at home. Um he came into 50. I'm like, well, maybe he'll come closer. I kind of got greedy and he started feeding away. And then I said, okay, well, 50 is my limit. I don't want to shoot any further than that. He fed in back to 50 and I took my time getting ready, drew back, bear down, uh, let one fly. And I don't know if it was because he's was, he was just alone and he just didn't, he didn't have other critters around him making noise and stuff, but he he was three body lengths from where he was when my bow went off, when the arrow got there. Jeez. I missed like, you know, my pin was where it needed to be. It wasn't like I missed high or missed low. And he was like, what was that? It was like, he was, he was gone. He was, he was getting out of the country, (laughs) but he didn't know what it was. And antelope being skittish. If you've ever watched antelope before, they're one of my favorite animals to hunt. And my, number one animal to eat if you've ever watched antelope before they have the weirdest tendencies and they're twitchy and like a, a grasshopper will go off and smack its wings together you know and they make that clicking noise and they'll they'll run to the next section sometimes it's weird really? um they're really unpredictable yeah they get real ang- they get anxiety around fences when they have to cross one and stuff it's they're a cool animal um but anyway so he took off completely out of the way of my arrow like matrix and he only went about 15 20 yards and turned around and stomped back in to where the arrow hit and i never found the arrow it was completely buried under the ground wherever it ended up so um i i know he wouldn't have been able to smell it or anything like that um but he stomps back in he probably has um, his attention on what happened for about a minute. And then he goes right back to feeding. And at that point he fed into, you know, over the course of the next 15 minutes, he fed into 35. Oh, wow. Nice. And um, I was able to position myself. I had to kind of shoot through one of the right next to one of the hubs in my blind, but he, he started to kind of go away and I think I took my shot. He was at like 40 or 41 and I held just below the line of his belly at that distance. And I hit him high. Really? And yeah, I mean, high, high, high long, like not, not high, like spine. Um, but he ran a half circle as fast as an antelope could run. And he probably made it 60 yards and he fell over. That's so cool. I've heard so, I've heard antelope are like if you just get an arrow. I'm not 
I'll say it'd shoot them anywhere, but like they're not the hardiest animal compared to to an elk. Let's say, right? Like, yeah, get away with. I mean, they're more. they're small. Their cardiovascular system is is very intense. I mean, you think of it, they're the the fastest land animal in North America. I think they're the second fastest land animal in the world um, on on the planet, next to a cheetah. That's so, crazy. You, you you think of it you think of it that way that animal's built i mean their nostrils are, are built to breathe hard their lungs are huge they're they're uh you know to feed their muscles the, the necessary oxygen to to excrete that much energy and run that fast it's you know they're chunky little animals that can that can move and i i think I think they get that they're definitely not super hardy, but they're not very big either. And I think they're just an animal because their, 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 their habitat, they live out in the open. Um, and I think that lends itself to getting arrow in them. Yeah. And you'll be good. Just follow them after that because you know, you can't do that with a whitetail because, I don't know any whitetails that live in a field big enough to um, to watch them run somewhere and lay down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just the habitat lends it to that. You know, they I've heard that said about doll sheep before too. You know, you just hit white. You know, hit white. Yeah. And and we'll we'll figure it out later. Yeah. Um. And I've never hunted doll sheep, but I've heard people say that. And yeah, that's great if you're in a big talus basin and they really can't get anywhere. But if there's cliffs nearby, I mean, a lot of times those animals are going to, you know, harbor, you know, they're going to look for shelter in those cliffs. Mountain goats do that and stuff like that. So, and it's, it's not a place that any hunter, you know, wants Wants to to be. Yeah. 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 Where with an antelope, it's like it's staged for as far as the eye can see. (laughs) It's like, I can see six miles that way and six miles that way. If I draw blood and it's lethal, he's, he's going to go at most, you know, quarter mile, half a mile, and he's going to bed down. Are antelope uh, kind of similar to that of like a turkey where you can just basically set up your pop-up ground blind in the middle of the open and they don't really pay much attention to it? You know. Or do they got to get used to it? That's what people say. People say that, but, um, and, and based on cameras and stuff like that, I mean, antelope are not so overly aware that, they're not going to come in to a, a set. They're going to come in cautious when you popped up like that day or the day before. Okay. So uh, my sets um, for, for antelope, I like to give them some soak time. Um, I think you can get away with not doing it, but I always, and, and I see this all the time. I see antelope blinds set up with all the windows closed and they're like, okay, gotta gotta close it up, you know. And it's like I set my blinds up so that they're set up how it's gonna be when I'm in the blind. Yeah. Yeah. Because I want that animal to be used number one, I want that animal to be used to the windows that are on it. Yeah. I don't want them coming in and being like, Oh, something's different, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's like I don't care if wind goes through it. I mean, I'm I'm staking them out at the base, I'm staking them out at the each hub. It's like you know, the blind ain't going anywhere. And, you know, I've, I've watched weather and stuff like that. And I've seen where storms go through 30, 40, 50 miles an hour. 
you know, gusts and my blinds, I've never had issues. I mean, I've had some cheap blinds tear or the hubs break from the wind. Like, it's like, that's not the blinds fault. It's the construction's fault. It's the material used's fault. It's just a low quality blind. And yeah. you know, the, the blinds that I have that, I mean, I have a blind that's probably 15 years old, the original double bowl matrix blind, like from the year they came out. I mean, it's faded to the point where it's got white on it, <laughs> but I tell you what, that blind's never blown away. It's never collapsed. It's never, I, I mean, I've broken a hub here or a, a rod here and there, but they're replaceable. Yep. So it's, it is what it is. Very so, nice. Very nice. So you got your antelope. Um, what's, what's on tap for, for elk and, and then any mule deer this year? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, chase mule deer in Montana. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to hunt, the the Western plains of the Dakotas. Um, I'm going to. You know, I'd obviously chase elk here. It's it's real similar country in eastern Montana, you know. That and and I enjoy the, the archery aspect of of early season, but it's like, you know, you only have so much time and you know, family work. I mean, there's a lot of other priorities that you gotta make sure you make time for too. And you know, I I I often will tell my wife when I when I leave for a hunt or when I have a hunt plan, it's like I'm giving myself more time than I need, but I'm always giving her the worst case scenario. Like if, if I'm planning on spending eight days somewhere, I say that and I'm home in, in three or four. So smart. Um, man. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I've got an awesome wife too. So yeah. she's, we were talking today. She's, she's uh she's a teacher and, um, she teaches primarily math, but she's fallen into a, a role as a uh, health enhancement is what it's called now, but it's FIAD or PE, you know, for, for the, for the older type like myself, that's, you know, gym class. <laughs> yeah. And, um, she, uh, she has an opportunity to get certified for, to be an archery instructor. And it's, um, it's a class she's got to take on a Saturday and it's in, the month of September. Uh oh. And she's she's like, Well, I don't want you having to be home with the kids during September because I I want to make sure we get an elk in the freezer. <laughs> and it's like I won the lottery. I mean yeah. it's like she's I'd she's say. awesome. She understands it that, you know, I'm around all year. We're we're constantly doing camping trips, fishing trips, you know, taking the boat on the river, stuff like that. Um, we're always doing family stuff and she knows that September rolls around and I'm like serious. And it's like, you know, I'll typically have two different state tags, you know, Colorado being my primary this year, (laughs) but um, I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to stop and say hi when I come by. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a fly by night guy. So I might be through your neck of the woods, but I got to get to where I'm going, Adam. I'm sorry. <laughs> Big bulls to kill, so, man. Giants. Yeah. So, <laughs> but no, it's, it's, um, you typically, once I get one animal down, there's, um, there's no reason. I mean, us as a family, um, can, can consume one elk easily within a year, but I also typically will have, you know, a couple of antelope. 
Um, I actually drew a bison tag this year. No kidding. So, wow. That's yeah, cool. I've got a, I've got a bison tag. It's, uh, it's definitely weather dependent. It's a migration hunt, uh, out of the park in, uh, West Yellowstone. They, they have two different hunts. They have one out of Gardner and one out of West Yellowstone. And Typically, it takes weather to get them pushed out. Obviously, some bulls do push out early. You know, when their rut is done, their rut's kind of wrapping up here at the end of August. But the bulls separate from the herd and push out. And then um, they have tribal tags that that come available to tribal members uh, starting September 15th. And my, my hunt doesn't start till November 15th. So. Oh, wow. What's that take to get that tag? Is that like a long draw it's, process? Is it just strictly it, lottery? It's a or? draw. Yeah, I mean it's it's a draw. It's four. It, I think there's forty tags, and then there's a depredation or like a um, a cow only, cow or calf only hunt. That's like a damage hunt. Mm-hmm. So th- these these animals show up on private property, and start overgrazing. You know, maybe cattle grazing ground or something like that, and then they you're on a, a a list and effectively it's numerical. So you, you, you're put onto this damage roster and they call you. They say, Hey, we got bison here. Come shoot a cow or a calf. And then, you know, you show up, you shoot one and then they go to the next and then they, and they go to the next and it kind of keeps the bison moving around and whatnot. So, um, man, you kill a bison. But, you're, you're, you're going to be set for meat for a while. Yeah. <laughs> That's a I big mean, animal. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, especially if it's a big mature animal. I mean, I think uh, from what I've been told, I think a bison can yield as, you know, a a, a very big bull can weigh up to a ton, 2,000 pounds on the hoof. And, I mean, you're, you're talking one-third of that in cut and wrapped meat. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, a big a big bull elk you figure 700 pounds, you know, you get, you get 250 to 300 pounds of cut and wrapped meat, you know, depending on the size. And it's like, yeah. So that was our job this summer was to eat down, eat down our reserves. As soon as I knew I had that tag, it's like, okay, I gotta, you know, I, I, I may be putting the cart before the horse a little bit because I don't have one on the ground yet, but I, I still feel like, there's there's a high likelihood that I I'm, I can you know generate an opportunity. So. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I I want to have you back yeah. on to talk about that hunt when you when you after you do it. Yeah, uh, that would be real. I've yeah, so never had that. It, it's definitely it starts November fifteenth and it runs through February fifteenth. Oh wow! So you got so, some time. I I do, and it really it um you know you get into that late mule deer hunt time frame, and it it can definitely you know, it'll interfere with that early. But again, with weather, I mean, the weather could come and 500 bison could push out of the park. Yeah. Wow. So So you got to be ready. Yep, definitely. I've got my bow set up for, you know, I'm shooting close to a 600 grain arrow um, and I'm shooting that for everything. I'm shooting that for antelope, shooting that for elk. You know, that may be why that antelope was able to get out of the way of the arrow because it's going so slow because yeah. it's so heavy. It's like recurve speed <laughs> but, right there, probably. <laughs> well, I am I think I'm still like 260. Oh, yeah, that's 
265. So I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm doing like 290 or anything like that or 300, but Bo's quiet. And that's, that to me is, you know, more important than anything. So, yeah, I love it, man. That's awesome. Jam packed fall and a new hunt on the horizon too. That's gotta be. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, man. And let's see, we had you on the podcast, I think about a year ago. I think it was right before, at least I launched it right before season or maybe early September. And then here we are a year later and I had to get you back on, Ben. I had people messaging me saying, man, that that podcast is badass. I love that. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Well, good, man. I'm glad people enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. The the hunting pressured elk on public land, you know, talking about that stuff. I mean, people people eat that up and it's, it's good advice, man. And, uh, you know, definitely you're, you're the Colorado elk master. So, I mean, you know, I mean, we gotta, we gotta pick the brain. I'm gotta be master of something, I guess. (laughs) So, yeah. So I've, I've put together, you know, I, this is something I've done a little, haven't done before and kind of doing it a little bit different here, but kind of just want to, I've basically developed a list of questions in three different categories kind of more along the lines of like planning and preparation just a few of those um hunting strategy and then in the field kind of scenario based you know on the fly sort of stuff and really kind of just want to get your get your take and get your what what would ben do you know based on this (laughs) based on this scenario or based on you know uh, this situation and uh so almost just kind of like a Q&A and love to get your opinion on that stuff and and, and learn from it so if you're up for it man well, definitely let's, fire let's, away man let's dive into it so i've like planning and preparation you know a lot of a lot of people hunt from or or elk hunters and maybe they're out of state or live on the east coast or the midwest and and they're non-residents so it's it, they got to make the journey whatever kind of this question to start it off um just given the amount of pressure from hunters in current day if you were someone who is a non-resident living on the east coast or you got to make a significant drive would you save points for a draw unit every two years or just do an otc somewhere every year so in other words are you trying to go for quality and maybe leave some pressure behind or you just would you want to just get more experience under your belt and more hunting opportunities i think i think experience is 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 more important you know i mean if if it's financially doable for you as a you know as a hunter and you can afford to do that that trip every year um I think I think you need to uh, pick an area and stick with it. And and absolutely, there's there's definitely good places and bad places. And you know, um, it when it comes to hunting, <clears throat> the more information, the more time you can spend in an area, the 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 better, more efficiently you're going to hunt it. Yeah. So having an area that, and, and right now with, with the current, you know, economic and this crazy ass 2020 we're having, I mean, (laughs) I feel like hunting in general is going to see, I mean, we, we've seen it in the fishing side of things. 
Um, and I think we've seen it on, you know, in tag sales, you know, um, record, record numbers of people applying. Yeah. So you're, you're, you can't bank on a, a hunt every two years mm. anywhere, really. Yeah, that's because a good point. of point creep. Because if, if it's two years this year, in two years, it's going to be, you know, three years. And yeah. in, in five years, it's going to be every four years. So you've wasted your time not hunting by, I feel like, by, by waiting. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of good resources out there when it comes to different styles, different calling techniques, stuff like that. And I mean, I think I I may have said something like this on the previous podcast. It's been so long and I didn't, I haven't listened to it. Um, I feel like the more well-rounded you can be as a hunter, the, the better off you're going to be. Um, people, people swear up and down by calling and calling works, works great when it works. And when it works, it works, but it doesn't work every time. Yeah. You know, you need to, you need to read every scenario individually. And, and, you know, the other thing, you know, back to what you were talking about, you know, the, the, every two years go to a, a unit, you know, if you, if you don't have, um, you know, if you don't have the, the physical or... means, yeah. Uh, financially to hunt the West every year as a non-resident somewhere. If, if it's not in the cards for you, be it family, be it money, be it whatever. I think putting in for a point every year is important. And then having a hunt that you, you, you want to go to. But I think if you, if you can afford it, just do a DIY over the counter. I like you that. Know, get your name on the list. Yeah. Because experience is, is, uh, everybody goes through different, different type of scenario um, as they grow as an elk hunter. And I can say I, I experienced, um, you know, the hardships of a beginning elk hunter when I first moved here. But I spent so much time in the field, and what I learned in one place can translate into using that technique or that situation in another place. So elk are, are always going to be elk and they have instincts. And if you learn what their instincts kind of tell them to do, it's, it's not like, you know, it's only usable in one location. I like that. Which, which is, which I think, I think people think elk act, you know, one way in one spot and they can act a different way in another spot. And there is some truth to that, to some extent. I mean, if you're in a an area that's packed full of wolves, they're going to vocalize less and maybe vocalize not as as loudly. You know, I've had situations these last couple of years where I'm not hearing the, the amount of vocalization because I'm in an area where there's a high concentration of wolves. And um, I know that government trappers have come in and, and worked with the cattle ranchers and stuff in the areas that I've hunted and killed numerous wolves, like close to double digit wolves in those years that I'm running into that. I'm also seeing, 
you know, less vocalization because I mean, when an elk bugles, a wolf knows that yeah. as well as you or I, you know, yeah. it might, it might as well. It's just sounding off their location. So the bull I killed last year or no, two years ago, um, I bumped him and, um, I, I followed his course of direction knowing what the animals do in that area. I just needed, you know, you follow an animal 150, 200 yards. And he was with a cow. He was like tending a cow. It was mid September, like all up in her business. Like his nose was on her ass as she was running away and he was just following her. Well, I, I, I got their course of direction down into the drainage and then I circled around on a ridge and then I waited and I waited for a couple hours, you know, it was an evening hunt. And then I heard the faintest bugle, the faintest bugle that, you know, I've heard from this bull. And I thought, okay, I kind of have an idea. And that's probably the bull I saw knowing that it was a bull I wanted to shoot. I worked my way down. I used the wind. I got down in and that bull was bugling, you know, quite frequently. But if I was more than two or 300 yards away, I wouldn't have heard it. Yeah. So that taught me that I need to be closer, need to be in on top of some of these animals. So, um, and that's just one scenario that, that worked. I was able to take that bull, um, you know, really nice six point. Um, and I was stoked about it. That's awesome. Man. So it's, yeah. it's, it's the kind of thing where if you have the means find number one, find an area where you can grow your, grow your experience. And I think experience trumps anything, you know, most of the bulls that I've killed, let me, let me rephrase that. All the bulls I've killed, but one bull has been in an over-the-counter unit. Wow. So, and it, it happens to be my biggest bull, but it's not much bigger than the biggest bull I've killed in an over-the-counter unit. Yeah. That's so, awesome. I like that a lot. I think, I think. Yeah, more experience and and just especially if you're a beginner, you know, I mean, the more yep. you can more you can get in, the more you're going to learn and and that kind of plays into, you know, you talk about being well-rounded, kind of plays into my next like planning preparation side of things and I I basically, you know, for somebody who's a beginner, um I've essentially kind of put together five categories and I kind of want you to tell me what obviously well-rounded is is key, but out of these five categories, tell me what would be your, your one and two, what would you, if you were just a beginner elk hunter, maybe what would you put your most emphasis on? And so here's the categories, okay. uh, gear. So like your packs, boots, you know, having the right stuff, scouting, whether that's digital or, or boots on the ground, um, physical fitness, that's number three, um, shooting, accuracy slash marksmanship just being proficient and with your weapon and then uh number five would be kind of calling and elk knowledge um so five five categories there gear digital scouting and or boots on the ground scouting physical fitness all right so marksmanship and knowledge i'll 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 kind of rate them i'm just going to go down your list and kind of give my yeah how would you rank all five yeah 
Yeah, I'll tell you what I think, how important it is. So the first one you said was, was what? Gear. 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 Um, I, I feel like gear has no parameter on the success of the hunter. If you're gritty or just a tough mother effer, <laughs> um, gear is, is a, is a level of comfort. You know what I mean? Yeah. Gear allows you to maintain comfort. It allows you to maintain a mental awareness and it keeps you sharp. You know, when you sleep at night, if you have that really nice sleeping pad that keeps you comfortable, you get better sleep. You're going to be more likely to wake up in the morning and you're going to be uh, more likely to be in the spot to catch the elk on the saddle or to hear the bugle um, and pursue that animal, et cetera. So gear has a relationship to comfort, um, but you don't need to have the best gear in the world to be able to put yourself in those situations. Mm-hmm. What it's going to do, it's going to allow you to be in, in a better physical and mental state when you're hunting. So do you need to have the, the, the most expensive gear? No. Um, obviously, you know, safety items are, are paramount to, you know, items that are just going to create more comfort for you. But, uh, that's, that's of low importance, but to be able to stay on the mountain for longer periods of time, lighter gear is more expensive, you know, functioning gear is that's going to make you more comfortable is going to allow you to hunt harder because you're, you know, you're going to be well rested. So, mm-hmm. um, what was, what was the, the, the next one? Next one was scouting. <clears throat> well, physically scouting is. I think what sets a a guy that gets lucky and a guy that kills consistently apart. Now, e-scouting is great, but it gives you no experience in the country. Yeah. You can't you can't experience the country. E-scouting is, is you know, I've I've looked at basins. <clears throat> um I I mean, I just just did a hike in uh to one of my areas in and was checking out a new drainage. And I hiked in a ways and I'm like, man, this looks awesome. It just screams at me, giant bulls. <laughs> like this is like out of the way and everything like that. And um, there were bulls there, but there were no big ones. And there was a shitload of cows and that was it. So I was like, well, dang it, you know? Yeah. And we're in a transition phase right now. And those cows will eventually have a big bull with them. I guarantee you that. But that trip was was brought in by e-scouting and i used my um i used my physical presence to confirm or deny what i had e-scouted yeah and i mean where i was looking for elk there were a bunch of cows and there were some small bulls but i mean this is august this isn't september and it's key to be able to know where the cows are mm-hmm. to be able to be on the bulls because the big bulls, the big bulls that have experience that have lived through five, six, seven, ten seasons of these breeding seasons, know where those cows are. 
And as soon as they know it's time, they're all up in their business. They're up where they want to be. The cows, the cows don't go through the same transition that the bulls do. So yeah, on that trip, I will say this. I put myself on the best advantage I could, and I did find a couple of big bulls, but they weren't where I was expecting to find them. Okay. So, so e-scouting is great because you learn the lay of the land and you, you kind of get an idea. But in person, it's always bigger than it looks on a computer screen oh, yeah. or on your phone. That's the truth. Always. Um, so you want to look for the easy spot and then go in and then tell me how easy it is. If it was like, ah, yeah, that was a breeze, you know, look for the little harder spot. But use physical, you know, use someplace you've been to and reference that to what it looks like. And then go back to your, I mean, then go back to your, your new spot because it gives you a better idea. Because, oh, yeah, man, I can just hike right up over that base, no problem, into that <laughs> next drainage. And then you get there and <clears throat> you're like, you got like a quarter of your, your water bladder left when you get to the top. And you still got another half a mile of, of, you know, traverse to go to get to your glassing knob. You're like, okay, yeah, I made a mistake. <laughs> so Been there. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, so scouting is definitely important in the physical sense. E-scouting, you know, it's going to give you an idea of access points. It's it it it's going to give you an idea of, um, you know, country layout, but it doesn't give you the same thing that physical scouting does. So, scouting in person is huge. E-scouting is not not near as important. I like it. I think. What about physical fitness? What do, what do you? What do you put on that? Well, I'm, I'm fat, not a shape. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, exactly. I have patience. Um, I don't, I don't need it to happen this weekend. Um, I don't need to ha- it to happen, you know, on the next morning hunt or the next evening hunt. You know, um, I wait for the right opportunity. And I think that's been the best thing that has kind of propelled me from a success standpoint in the field when it comes to filling tags is that being patient you know a lot of guys and and not everybody has the ability to be patient you know they set aside four days they set aside a week eight days ten days you know um but i i look at every scenario as okay what's the wind gonna do what time of day is it are thermals gonna switch you know, that bull cracks off on a face that's just starting to get in the sun and the bull's uphill from you. It's like, do you, do you try to make a mad dash and, and get in there and get that bull, you know, killed? Or do you say, you know what? He's going to be there. He's not going to go anywhere. I'm going to wait till the scenario is perfect. And And I think with experience, I've learned that – um, patience kills. Yeah. It's, it's not as muscle. simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, f- fitness definitely helps you. It helps your stamina. It helps your, your ability to stay on the mountain longer. You know, you're more efficient at burning calories. Um, you know, because you're not draining your body, but at the same time, I don't have to pack as much food cause I got fat reserves enough to, <laughs> so 
you can survive no, the no, pandemic. I mean, all kidding aside, fitness is important. You don't you don't want to be you don't want to be able to you know be you know be dead after three days of hiking up and down the mountain. I mean, you definitely want to prepare, but. I mean, with the amount of time, I mean, I've, I've, I've had people from the Midwest come out and hunt with me and I haven't done anything to, to get in better shape. And it's just a time thing for me. It's not that I, I'm not interested in being in shape. It's that I don't have the time and I don't make the time I should say. And, uh, um, you know, by, by mid season, like my, my legs are, are, fully back to what they were the year before and i can i can i can do pretty good so <laughs> i like i it. mean i'm not in i'm in I'm, i don't put a ton of effort and time into it but i definitely know how important it is yeah and i can say this too i've thought about it before i've never been in a scenario where trying to outrun or run down an animal or run to get ahead of an animal has has uh you know would would have given me the opportunity or not but i've also never tried to yeah yeah i mean i had i had I'm a not guest cameron uh, haynes yeah i uh fred bohm who had the podcast i think originally a couple of years ago he said you're not gonna out hike those elk you're just you're just not yeah. you know and uh so, you yeah. can work out every day of your life, and 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 you're still not going to out hike them. There's no way. Yeah, no patience. Uh, I like that because, like, you know that that bull could fire off, you know, 45 minutes before light, and you got a thousand foot to climb, and you know a mile distance to cover. It's like, okay, well, maybe I'll just try for the morning, you know, where it makes more sense. Because well, mean, and that's the thing. Time you know. is on your side. If you if you can if you can spend the time learning the pattern and what the animals are doing that's i think a bigger key to being successful than being able to you know hike at the pace of an elk in the mountains yep so number one they always have a higher gear than you i mean they're four legs on the ground we're two <laughs> so they got that going for them they live there they know the easiest path we don't yep you know they know where to take that right trail versus going straight at them yep. because there's deadfall every five feet. So it doesn't <laughs> matter what kind of shape you're in, in those kind of scenarios. I mean, you're, you're always going to be slower. They know, you know, and, and that's the thing is, is yeah, it's, it's going to, it's going to make the pack out easier. It's, it's and, and stuff like that. It's going to make it a more enjoyable experience. I'm not saying, you know, eat a, a sleeve of Oreos every night before <laughs> the hunt all summer long or anything like that. But it's, it's the kind of thing where yes, hiking is important being in, in a good physical position, but do you, do you need to be able to run a marathon to kill an elk? No. Yeah. You know, um, I guess a lot of us hope Ben. I like that. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I see a lot of these these physically fit guys do extremely well, and and whatnot. But, um, I mean, I do pretty good most of the time too. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not, and I'm not like a you know in awesome shape. And I I mean I'm in Bozeman. I mean the guys that Mountain Tough program that 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 they have. Um, you know Dustin mm-hmm. is a is a great dude. I know a bunch of guys that have done that that program. Um, I've actually gone like a, 
I had some guys that talked me into going and doing a workout a couple of years ago. And it was, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, um, it's not going to hurt you. I know that. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely not. No, yeah. it's not going to hurt you, but don't ever think that being physically fit is going to, is going to increase your odds on killing an animal, yeah. killing an elk, killing a deer, killing, killing an antelope. Um, the, the, the most important muscle you have is your brain when it comes to, to hunting these animals. And if you use your brain, if you think out your decisions and don't make, you know, just drop of the, you know, just We're gonna don't make impulse there. decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Harder is, uh, is, 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 is what you're going to put yourself through. Yep. You know, it, it doesn't have to be physically grueling. You know, if you, if you leave far enough, before sunrise to get to where you need to get to there's no reason to rush and if you have the the intel that tells you where you need to be just give yourself enough time to get there yeah it's as simple as that so i i've told guys this and i i can't say i came up with it but um you know smarter not harder um (laughs) is kind of a motto that i i live by yeah, it might take me twice as long to get three miles than than you, but I learn more along the way. I take my time, and you know, I'm 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 not passing stuff like some guys are. Well, either. that's that's so. a that's a big point. I remember the first couple of years elk hunting. You know, I had that musclehead mentality of like I have to be here at first light, or I have to be here by a certain time. You know, when I was just bombing through good elk country and and you know i'd blow bulls i get the spots and i'd you know the next thing you hear is a bunch of crashing and hoofs going everywhere and it's like damn it you know i should have just i mean why am i why am i going so fast i don't i don't need to like you're in it yep. just just slow down and 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 be aware use use your brain like you said yep so what about shooting what emphasis do you put in on that as far as marksmanship and accuracy and shooting, practicing shooting is, is of high importance, incredibly high importance. Um, when it comes to shooting your, and knowing your equipment, um, I feel like shooting is where most people don't spend enough time. If you, uh, if you put your time in and, um, you know, your, your head is with it and you've, you've spent the time with your bow, then, I mean, you can't use that as an excuse. And, and one of the things that I've, I've, you know, constantly thought about is, is if you think through your peer groups, how many people do you know missed an animal of a lifetime? I've, I've been there. <laughs> right. And, you know, I mean, part of it's the, part of it's the, you know, the big fish story. Cause if you miss him, he gets bigger. <laughs> yeah. Or but, there's something else to blame. Yeah. 
I feel like as an individual, you have to prepare yourself for this. And you're spending all this time, all this money, putting yourself in uh, into a position to have an opportunity. And if you why, blow it. Why should you miss? Yeah. <laughs> Be- because that's that's like, you know, and uh, I don't know. It's it's something that. I think I've had this conversation and, and talked about it with other people. It's like, you know, you don't send a, a boxer or an MMA fighter into a, um, into the ring without training to fight a, an event. It's like the, you know, that that's about technique and being physically fit and everything else. To me, that's, it's more important to be able to shoot your bow than than being physically fit yeah so don't don't provide yourself the excuse to miss know know what your you know and know what your bow's gonna do know what your body's gonna do when you're shooting 52 yards versus 50 or 54 yards versus you know versus 50 i know a lot of guys that go out and they just shoot their pins they don't shoot any gaps and you know they have a 3d target and they're right-handed, so their pins come in from the from the right, mm-hmm. and they can see the head of the 3D and everything, and that's all they practice. Well, you know, shit changes when you put the head of the animal behind your pins. I it's, like that. You know, you, you know. I mean, that's that's one one small thing, you know, that that people don't take into consideration. It's like, okay, when I can see the hind quarter of the animal only over to the front leg. And then I'm supposed to put the pin for the distance and I'm covering up the brisket and I'm covering up the neck and the head of the animal with the pins I have. Right. Mm -hmm. And people have a tendency to hold different if they're coming in, you know, they're covering the the rear end of the animal and, and holding on it. I mean, that's, that's just one thing. I mean, it's, it's a mental thing that guys will shoot at their 3d targets from the same angle all the time. You know, it's like, well, quarter that to you a little bit once, you know, quarter it away once or twice. Yeah. You know, for a few rounds, turn it around, face it to the left, face it to the right, you know, experiment with distance. I mean, these are all things that people don't think of, but you know, your, your point of aim without a dot on an animal you know, where you want to hold is different depending on if the animal's facing left or if the animal's facing right. It's all these little things that make a big difference when it comes to, you know, when it comes Game to being time. successful. And, yeah, exactly. So, you know, put yourself in, in, the, in the scenarios. And I know a lot of guys that, that – that'll spend time shooting angles and stuff like that too. They'll get it like a throwable target, like a Reinhardt or something. And they'll toss it down and they'll do some like 20 and 30 degree shots, uphill, downhill, stuff like that. But it's the kind of thing that, you know, not everybody does. I mean, I feel like that's important, you know, 
Shooting in an awkward body position is important. Knowing your limitations is important. And, you know, unless the animal knows you're there, um, don't feel like you have to force a shot. You know, just like on that, that antelope that I missed on my first shot this, this fall in August here. So on, I was comfortable to 50 and that's kind of what I, that's the limitation that I set myself at. And that antelope came into 50 and then he fed out and I was like, Oh crap. I just missed my opportunity. Um, but then he fed back in and he came back into 50 chances are, if I would have waited, he'd have come into, you know, 30, like he did anyway. And I wouldn't have had to miss, you know, yeah. don't. And, and that antelope was, was within 60 yards of me for probably a, half an hour um i shot him at i think just a few minutes after seven and i i think sunrise was um like 646 okay so i i basically 615 was legal light Mm -hmm. and I saw that animal within 10 minutes of legal light for the first time. So I had almost 50 minutes of that animal being at semi close range and within, you know, most people's effective bow range that spend time shooting. And I didn't, I didn't push myself to force the shot, but chances are, and, and that's one thing I learned during, the year that I really went, you know, traditional really hard is that let, let a, let a better shot develop. If you're not comfortable with it, if the conditions aren't, you know, perfect, if you're not a hundred percent confident in making that shot, let it develop more Mm -hmm. unless they're on the verge of getting your wind or on the verge of something, the closer they get, the easier the shot becomes. So, and not enough time is typically spent. I mean, and granted life gets in the way, you know, but it's, I think, I think it's important for guys to, to practice with their equipment year round too. It's going to keep you sharp. It's going to, it's going to allow you to find your, you know, your, your kind of your, your sweet spot in your shooting ability faster. And I can see it in my shooting ability these last two years. I mean, I'm, I'm pointing out my flaws, but with, with kids at home and with, you know, show season for me and trout being like January and February and into March, it's like that's when most archery shops have a winter league. And I think the last two years I haven't really actively participated in winter league. And in the fall, you know, when I'm preparing for hunting season and I'm shooting when I can, it takes me longer to get to the point where I'm super confident. I mean, um, and confidence in your abilities and confidence in your equipment goes a long way when that clutch situation is put in front of you. I like that. Yeah. Shootings. I would, I would, I would agree. Shootings up there. Um, and something that we all, everybody knows. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody knows somebody that's missed a big animal and, there's no excuse for it. If you put time into the shooting ability, you can be in the best physical shape ever. 
if you're if you like to work out and you just like the feeling you get, you need to make sure you spend equal amount of time shooting your bow. Because if you're not, you need to take some of your workout time and you need to start shooting your bow more because uh, it doesn't matter, you know, what kind of physical condition is, you know, you're in physically. If you miss the shot, it's all for nothing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. These guys that are like three, six, five hunt guys spend, you know, tons of time working out. You need to, you need to make sure you focus on the, on making the shot because everything that you've done, all the e-scouting, all the physical scouting, all the, all the physical workouts, everything is to get the opportunity. And if you drop the ball on the opportunity by missing the shot, that's on you. Yeah. So, yeah, I like it. And then the the last one, I, I guess it could be kind of broken into two, but just like calling and just general elk knowledge. And I guess that comes through like experience, but you know, how would you rate that category? Well, I mean, I think knowing how to blow a call and knowing what calls mean are definitely important. Um, but I feel like, um, elk knowledge, just general elk knowledge, how they use the terrain, how they move around. If you see an an elk cross a saddle in point A, if you know where he's going to be next, you need to be able to get there and, and kind of having an idea time wise is, is big too. Mm -hmm. So if you know you can can close the deal on getting to where you think that animal is going to be, get there. If you need to rush really, really hard to get there, it may not be worth it. You know, you just kind of want to play it by ear. And then you can get close to it. And the closer you can get from a calling perspective, the more effective your calling is. I see a lot of guys call from three, four, or 500 yards away. And, I mean, granted, elk have close distances like that but typically they're not gonna you want to you want to get as close as as close as you comfortably feel you can to before you start calling and i think that's a mistake a lot of people do they they don't have the confidence in their stealth and their sneak ability to get close and it's like i want to i want to you know see his horns over the top of the ridge and then I want to call. I yeah. mean, that's how typically I am Yeah. when it comes to calling. And I mean, general elk knowledge is, is, is what's going to trump everything. I mean, if it, you know, I mean, an excellent example of, of that is um, I took my friend, Sam, I invited him up to my camp and he made it mid September and we were up there and um, the first morning out, we go up onto this knob this glassing knob that I, I really like. And we, I mean, there was like a rut fest going on out on this, this big face that is kind of semi-open. And we started kind of picking it apart and they're like, Oh, there's a bunch of cows. There's some more cows. There's a bull. There's a couple more bulls and these bulls are screaming back and forth. And I'm like, you know, let's watch them. Let's see what they're going to do. Cause if they go across the face, I know the saddle they're going to cross. If they go down, I know they're going to be in the bottom. Um, and if they go up, I know where we can intercept them on the top side. So that's a knowledge thing. Mm-hmm. And the bull with the cows started to, to miss down 
uh, or started to kind of trend down and the other bulls started kind of peeling off in different directions. Um, you know, and we, we were, he, he actually filmed the hunt and it's, um, it's a reference that I think Onyx published it on their YouTube channel. It's public land bus, Montana elk hunt effectively knowing that those elk were going to work their way down to the bottom and either work onto the, the timbered face and bed or bed in the very, very bottom. I just kind of started shadowing them down the mountain. You know, they'd kind of slide down the drainage. I would slide down and we were on the timbered side. So we were concealed and effectively we just kind of slowly worked down, worked down. And before you know, it's 9 AM. And as we're, as we're working down, you know, the bugles start becoming more infrequent and they're coming from the same location. So then I used the cover of the hillside. We moved over, we slid across, um, got to a point where his last bugle had been just, a, you know, a couple hundred yards away. And in the mornings, I think what people have a tendency to do, these, these elk are moving to a bedding type of a scenario. They're, they're, they're going to go to bed somewhere. And when they go to bed, they're going to shut up. You know, the bull's going to quit bugling. The cows are going to get, you know, ready to, to lay down. And we waited. And we, we waited for probably an hour, hour and a half. And the bull that was kind of running that herd had been running bulls off all morning. And we worked down and knowing what they were going to do from a standpoint of, you know, topography and where they were headed, we just kind of shadowed them and, you know, the, the knowledge of, of previous experience told me that they weren't going to leave. Nobody else was up there. Nobody was going to um, push them out of there at that particular time and place. And we, we worked in, we got to the point where we felt like we were about a hundred yards. And I, I tried to do a couple of, uh, you know, just quiet elk noises that, can't be heard for more than a, you know, a few hundred feet <clears throat> and didn't get any reaction. I said, well, move down. So you're just out of my sight. We were on a timbered hillside. I, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little bugle, like a, one of these bulls. He ran off, wandered around and got on this side. And sure enough, I bugled once and we hadn't heard him for probably 40 minutes, you know, make any noise. We hadn't heard a cow. We hadn't seen anything move through the timber. I bugled and he, he bugled and it was pretty obvious he had, he was laying down or bugling from a bed because it was kind of more a grown bugle yeah, than it was a full capacity lung bugle. And because of what we'd seen earlier that morning and his aggression towards other bulls, we figured he'd come in and I was back away and I bugled and I started raking a tree and he bugled back. And then, you know, we, we went back and forth and I just, I kept making noise up the hill and the bull came right past Sam at like 22, 23 yards. He shot it. Um, and it was like, that was experience in the terrain, you know, importance. And then, you know, basically painting the right scenario. Yeah. You, you know, um, Bulls that are alone and have cows, I feel like are like a, you're kind of like, 
throwing up a prayer, bugling at them. But if you ever are in one of those scenarios where there's a bunch of bulls bugling around and it's like a rut fest and there's, there's some cows and there's some bulls. I've been in these scenarios multiple times. Don't necessarily go in and just start calling because you're just becoming one of the flurry of elk running around. Try to pinpoint where you think the main bull is, where the smaller bulls are, the satellites, and the direction that they're traveling. And if you can follow them or make a move to kind of pace with them out of sight, out of wind, you know, your, your wind isn't blowing into them, you're, you're not visible, and eventually all those small bulls are going to get pushed off. And you, you might get a flurry of having one of those bulls come in. But, you know, for that herd bull, that big bull, if you just kind of stay with them and then you let them settle down, when the cows start bedding down, they're comfortable. And once the cows have bedded, if you bugle, that bull has to come run you off. Yeah. But if those those cows are on their feet and you're bugling, if you haven't given them the opportunity to really kind of just decompress a little and lay down, they've been in this big rut fest forever that bull doesn't have any reason to come over to you because if he comes over to you you know during the all these other bulls trying to get in on him another bull's going to come in so when he leaves another bull's going to slide in but if you wait and you wait till they're all settled down the cows aren't going anywhere you get as close as you can and you throw that challenge bugle in there I like that's that. where you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna see the the reward of that if you just get into one of those scenarios instead of just starting to throw your bugle in there to see if you can get something to come by. Just be patient. Just wait. Try to, you know, looking at the train, try to get a direction of travel, try to get ahead of them. I like so. that. I like that a lot. Yeah. And all that stuff comes with experience and, and, and you definitely got that, Ben. I know that. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to be able to spend quite a bit of time in the field and, and I've, I've been in that scenario, that scenario in particular, a, a few times. And every single time I've been in that scenario, it's, I've been able to, to capitalize on it. Yeah. You know, I, and be it if I passed on something, I, I, I consider that a capitalization. You know, maybe it's not the bull I'm looking for or, or um, it just didn't feel right. You know, I've, I've had people miss in those scenarios when – I've had a satellite bull come by in those scenarios because it's, it's a flurry. I mean, there's that one, everything's kind of, it's like a, a hive. There's, there's, there's bulls kind of all around the outside, especially if you're getting multiple bugles back and forth. And that's a perfect scenario to just kind of work in and let one of those animals come by you on their own. Yeah. If you get two or three bulls bugling, there's no reason to bugle at them because you're just stirring shit up even worse. And, and that herd bull is just going to continue to push those cows. Where if he runs off bull A, bull B, bull C, and he's like the herd bull, he's gonna he's gonna kind of settle down. Those cows are gonna settle down, and if he if those cows start bedding down, if they're comfortable with where they're at, if you just are patient and then throw your interjection in there, that's when that big herd bull is gonna come out to you. Yeah, yeah. So I <clears throat> like it. So out of those categories, you'd probably put shooting probably at the top shooting yeah shooting is 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 up there yeah um i think that the the scouting thing plays into knowledge 
So you talked about physically scouting. Um, I think Trump's e-scouting. So I think knowledge of elk behavior in the area and shooting ability and scouting are like the three top things Yeah, to me. I like it. And, you know, I know they're kind of multifaceted, you know, the scouting thing, e-scouting or physical scouting, definitely physical scouting, physical experience in the country. Yeah. And then that kind of plays into the knowing the habits of the elk in the country. Yeah. And then shooting is, is right there. Um, you know, physical fitness definitely helps. Good gear definitely helps. But I think those other ones uh, are are going to be above it, you know. So I like it. I like it a lot. I've uh, I put together another. It's kind of moving into the second category here, more like strategy or like hunting strategy based stuff. This is kind of a yep. fun. This is kind of a fun one because I'm, I'm really interested to hear how you would play this out. Let's say you were dropped into a unit or an area blind, no prior knowledge. You hadn't digital scouted it. You hadn't ever been in the country before. You really don't know where you're at. Um, you got six days to get it done. You know, basically you have a six day timetable for your, for your hunt. What breakdown, like what would your week look like? Uh, you know, starting like walk us through like a, like a week. If you were dropped into that scenario, what would your week look like as far as strategy and game plan and like scouting like I, the I first couple days? Spend, or, you know. Yeah, I'd probably spend the first two or three days on the highest vantage that gives me the most, um, you know, the most visual, you know, of of the area. And and I, I'm willing to bet that probably sixty percent, fifty percent of my time is spent on the highest point, um, glassing gaining that knowledge of the area, learning the habits of the animals. Um, you gave me six days. I'm going to, I'm going to find the vantage where I can see the elk. That's, that's going to be priority number one. I like because that. elk, elk don't bugle every day during the rut. It's not like, it's not like elk, you know, I mean, there's definitely days when, when elk bugle a hundred times a day. Mm-hmm. but you can't rely on that because that's, that's up to the elk. That's not something, but elk are, if they're there and you can see them, I mean, chances are the elk are going to be out in the open somewhere at some point. So taking that into consideration, vantage is number one and not, not every area lends itself to that. There's, there's, Areas that are purely timber, and you're relying on a bugle, and then I mean that just that puts me back to well, not every elk bugles every day. Mm-hmm. So in a timbered you know, area, would you be like, would you just be covering miles and like just trying to you know find? I'd be migrating the heck out of there to find an area that has opening. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I no, like I mean, even, even in a timbered area, even in a timbered area, um, if you put yourself in the best position to hear bulls, you know, be at a ridge between two very, you know, very good basins that offer excellent elk habitat. That's, that's one scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've, I've hunted timber. I've hunted high timbered areas that don't have the advantages. And I mean, there's, you, you, you put yourself into positions where there's very slow days, but you also have more cover for the animals. There's more likelihood of big bulls um, and stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, you talk about motivation and there's nothing more motivating to a hunter than seeing a giant bull. Yeah. You know, if you can't see that giant bull over there, it, it, it takes a different kind of motivation to go over there. And if that bull exposes himself, that motivation, it can, you can create that motivation, you know, in timbered areas, you can, I mean, mean, cameras, you know, you see some of these guys down in Utah, you know, they're, they've got 40 cameras out in certain areas that are all timber. They're big, nasty timbered units. And sometimes that reconnaissance that's required, that motivation, that the only way to get it is, is via a camera, a game camera. Yeah. So, and when I don't have time to go scout and, and park myself on that high mountain peak, um, I mean, I put as many cameras out as I can. What about driving? Like, uh, are you, you scouting any from the road and like glassing from roads and just learning the country or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're going to, you know, you're going to see where animals like to cross certain, you know, from one basin to another, um, you know, spending time in the country is going to give you the best idea of a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So, so you'd spend the I first like that... couple of days scouting, learning the country, getting advantage, and then remainder of the week you're you're just balls of the wall going after it, or do you what what does kind of the second half of the week look like? Well, it depends. It depends on what I've seen. Yeah, you know, if I'm up there in the in the first day, I see I see a big herd of elk cross a saddle, just feed across it. You know, elk have a tendency to, to kind of be habitual. They like to move from point A to point B. They bounce the ping pong back and forth. Chances are um, in the next 24 to 36 hours, those elk might cross that saddle going the other way to go back to where they were. Yeah. So there you go. I like it. It's one of those scenarios that, <laughs> that you know, if you see them there once, they're there for a reason. And, you know, even if you see them and they're on the move, let's say you see them and they're running, they're running from point A to point B and they go up and over a saddle. Well, guess what? That's an escape corridor or something, Mm. you know? Yeah. But it's something that's going to be habitually used. So it's, it's one of those things where if you see elk there, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking mentally of a, of a spot that I've hunted a lot in the past and I have a vantage where I can look down and I can watch elk cross this saddle. And I've watched it happen numerous times. And I can say, if I'm going to hunt that saddle, I'm going to be by that tree or by that bush, or I'm going to be in a position where the majority of these elk that I've seen cross have, have either come from and gone to or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. That's... You know, and saddles are huge. Travel corridors, pinch points like that. You know, elk are going to be a path of least resistance animal most of the time. Um, but, you know, so if you if you start looking at that and looking at those scenarios, you're going to definitely put yourself in a 
better position to to do it. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, this 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 next question kind of goes along with that. Like so, or or just let's say we're both residents. You know, me and you live in elk country, and we kind of have the opportunity to to hunt elk out our back door if we want, or we can pack in for you know a wilderness hunt and with everything on our back and 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 kind of go that route. What what is your preferred hunting style? Um, you know, would you rather pack in six days and 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 get deep in there? five miles in or whatever and, and, and hopefully not see another person or are you the mobile guy that's bouncing around from this chunk to that chunk and, and driving and, and covering some ground? What do, what would be your go-to I, if you had to pick one? I personally like to cover ground more than anything. Um, you know, I mean, when you're limited to, to foot, to foot traffic, you're definitely, I mean, it, it, it goes hand in hand. I mean, granted, if there's, if there's ease of transportation from, from point A to point B, absolutely. There's going to be more pressure and there's going to be more people. So the only thing you really have going for you is putting the time into learning the habitat, learning how the elk move about the country, because that's going to be what's better. You know, it's going to be, um, your your key to being successful knowing more than the next guy mm-hmm. um when you're in the back country um it's harder to to gain that that knowledge it takes number of years but i also feel like the elk are less pressured so they're less cautious and you have a higher likelihood of capitalizing on that so there's pros and cons to both it's it's about more about the experience you know yeah you know, in, after. in some areas that i've hunted um the weekends are like man weekends suck up here because <laughs> because every there, there's tons of guys four-wheelers everywhere there's grouse hunters there's you know there's everything it sucks because it's like well this guy's going to screw up my hunt or that guy's going to screw up my hunt. And it just comes with the territory. And if you don't want to deal with that, you know, do the hiking thing. Cause you eliminate a large percentage of the, the, num- the people that do it. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know, I think the backcountry thing has become very popular now. And I think a lot of guys walk past a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, and I think that's an overlooked deal, you know, go to your, your backcountry areas backcountry spots and instead of going three plus miles in go a mile in and check out that one that one base and you're like because nine ninety percent of the guys are going to have the same mindset as as you and they're like man i gotta get back as far as i can and it's like horse guys go like 10 miles in backpack hunters go like four to five miles in nobody hunts the first two miles and sometimes (laughs) that's where all the elk are yeah you know yeah so it's it's uh i don't know and and with the with the wealth of information that's available today via social media via all these elk 101 all these different avenues of information everybody kind of has their own idea on what 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 it takes to be successful yeah but i mean i'll tell you it's like if you were to isolate yourself and not take any of that into consideration 
it's 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 not like you need that to be successful. You need to have a plan, you put it to use, and if if you fail, just try something different. It's about failure. Elk hunting, hunting in general is about failure. And if you're not failing, you're not learning. If if you go out there and you you win every time, it wouldn't be fun. You're not going to have the experiences that you want to have. Um, it's it's about the challenge. Um, you know, if you're out there just so you can post a picture of something dead on Instagram, you're not doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody wants somebody to to look up to them and their physical ability and and you know their master of the art, so to speak. But it's like if you're doing it to impress somebody else. Man, rethink it because chances are you when that opportunity comes where that other hunter on the other ridge is is over there, you know, working in on the same elk you are, do you have the decency to, to say, okay, I'll let him have him today? Yeah. Most guys don't. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, I feel like, I feel like with these hard to draw tags down south, um, you know, I've I've heard a lot of hunters from the northern Rockies go down to some of these coveted tags down south for deer and everything else where they've got fourteen guys out there scouting and glassing and watching animals and blocking roads and like running animals off if somebody else is going in on them. And it's like, man, what is hunting becoming? Yeah. You know? That's yeah. So That's crazy. And I don't it's it's not something that we see in like Colorado or um, you know, we don't see it up here in Montana. We don't see it in Idaho. Um, you know, the Dakotas and stuff, but you get down there. I mean, like in Utah, they, I mean, they have little groups, like seven, eight guys that, you know, they'll get two tags a year, three tags a year. And then the guys who don't get tags will glass and the guys, you know, they'll kind of work as a team. And it's like, man, going down there as a, you know, on your own kind of dude, you're kind of just, you're setting yourself up to be miserable. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's important to, to, to teach people to be respectful of other people and, you know, be, you know, just, it's not about killing the animal, you know? I mean, sometimes somebody beats you to a spot or something like that. Let them have it. You know, I've had, I've had scenarios where, you know, I'm hunting a particular bull and, and I've gotten to like a trailhead or whatnot and had another guy there. And he, I mean, he, he was a dick to me cause I, I have a lot of time to hunt and I'm always up there and it's like, well, he was an older guy. I said, well, where are you going to go? You go where you want to go and I'll just stay away from you. And he said, I'm going right here. And he told me where he was going. And and I said, okay, well, I'll stay out of your hair. If anything's, you know, if I see or hear or know of anything coming up your way, I'm going to not mess it up for you. I'm going to go somewhere else. Yeah. And I think there needs to be more of that happening. And he was just grumpy in general because I was out of state and he was – well, I've been hunting up here for since I was, you know, you know, the type that kind of act like they own the mountain yeah. more or less. And it's like, yeah, they have, they've been up there for a long time. I've been up there for a year or two and I've, I've found success and, you know, it is what it is. 
you know, you just got to kind of let stuff roll off your back, let people kind of go do their thing, you know, and, um, it doesn't, it doesn't always work in your favor when there's, there's multiple people there, but I always, I always say treat people how you would want to be treated in that scenario. Yeah. And, you know, don't be afraid to have a conversation with that other hunter. I was out with a, a friend of mine here the other night and we were, we were looking for, for bulls kind of having a plan for, for opening day coming up here. And, uh, we drove way back in and got into this way back basin. And, um, we, uh, we, we pull up to where we were glassing from and there was another, another guy there glassing, you know, from the same spot, pretty much in the same direction we were glassing and, we go, oh, okay, well, we'll we'll talk to him here in a few minutes and just kind of pick his brain, make sure we're staying out of each other's way and kind of get an idea of what their plan is going to be. And they they glass, we glass, you know, for probably half an hour, 45 minutes. And we thought, oh, well, well when he's done and these elk have kind of moved off, we were watching two different groups of bulls. Um, when they when they moved off, we would we would talk to him before he 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 left and we figured he was going to, he had to drive right by us to leave. So, and, and what he did was he, they packed up his stuff, got in his side by side and he went, went by us. I mean, in the, I don't know, hundred, 150 yards that he got, you know, a run that coming by us, he was going so fast that, you know, you wave at somebody kind of like you want to talk to him and say, Hey, how's it going? You know, and he just blew right by us. Like, yeah, I don't want to talk to you. Oh man. It's like, Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I guess talking to you about where you're going to be opening day, if it's going to be in here or somewhere else is not going to work in either of our favor. So yeah. yeah. That's, that's the kind of scenario. I mean, I think hunters need to communicate more because it's going to allow for a better experience between all of them. And I've, I've, I've come to learn that and, you know, giving guys room is important to me because that's what I want to do to them or yeah. I want somebody to do to me. Yeah. And I've, I've been hunting basins where I can park my car, drop down into the basin and I come back up and it's like the only spot where you can get into this one basin. And I've come back up and there's been like four, four wheelers right next to my car, not even in a pullout on a, on a little forest service road. Like they had to tuck their cars into like the timber to get them far enough off the road. So people could get by. And they obviously came into the same basin that I was in. Yeah. Yeah. So I think going into season, I mean, that's, that's a message that I think more people need to hear. I think, you know what, if you communicate with your other hunters that are hunting in your area, it's going to provide a better experience for both of you. No, I agree. I agree. So, this, this next question kind of goes, I guess, plays into it. Um, the pressure and, and everything age class and quality aside, kind of everything apples to apples. Would you rather hunt an area with more elk but has more hunting pressure, more people, or an area that has less elk but less hunting pressure? Which would you choose? Um, I think patience, the patience that I've learned to have has played into not minding other people being around. 
Um, I think, you know, and, and I'm, I'm the type of hunter that likes the challenge of trying to kill a particular animal. Um, I'm, I'm not, uh, go in and fill my tag kind of guy. I'm going to go in and, and, um, enjoy the experience. So provided that area that had more elk probably had more bulls and there was more likelihood of a bigger bull being in there. Um, I would probably choose that. I wouldn't be deterred by other people. Okay. Um, less elk, less people. To me, it's, I mean, that's, that's obviously a, I mean, it's kind of a, I mean, the both scenarios are good. It, it's, it's not about the number of animals. It's about a particular animal to me okay. more than anything. Yeah. So it's kind of a, I don't know, kind of avoided the question, but. <laughs> well, um, I like to say I don't it mind, comes down to patience. I don't mind crowds. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing, exactly. knowing patience and knowing, you know, learning the unit, knowing the unit, um, you know, so that you can bounce off that hunting pressure, you know, or play, play off them or communicate with them. If they're going to be over here, then, you know, maybe you go check out a oh, different yeah. area, you know? Uh, and I've, I've got guys from out of state that hunt in some of the areas that I hunt that I talk to every year and I stay in communication with all year round. And, um, you know, I mean, they've, they've given me great info. Um, when they've been heading out, they're like, Hey man, there's, there's a herd of elk running this draw. There's a seven by six. There's a, you know, a big five by five and a small six point that are in with this herd. And I'm like, they were in there every day. They would do this up and down in the morning. And these are really good hunters too, by the way. Um, but that's why I think it's important. The more, the more knowledge you have of the area, even if it's through somebody else is going to be better than anything. And that's why it's important to kind of communicate with people that are hunting, you know, in and around your, your area. So hundred percent. Yeah. Cause you might know that guy and he's, he's on his way out. Mm-hmm. He killed this bull and he's like, Oh man, there was a, there was actually a three fifty in there with him. You know, you should go get him. Yep. <laughs> I got him exactly. chained to a tree. Exactly. <laughs> I, love I it. might not be forthcoming about the big bull that I've been seeing when it comes <laughs> to other people, but yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to help him out. I mean, so yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. I like that. Um, these next questions are kind of more like in the field, you know, scenario, like you're in the action based sort of thing. Yep. Um, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier with like the one scenario you talked about, like with let letting the herd settle down and everything. But let's say you had a group of bulls screaming in front of you, or you had, you know, that kind of scenario you were painting a picture earlier. Can't see them, or you know, you're you're in the thick of them, but you, let's say you're within a couple hundred yards. It's tail end of the morning. They're going silent. They're bedding down. Um, can't get them to come to calls. What? What's your plan there? I mean, I I know we talked a little bit about this, but like, guess what's your strategy? You waiting them out or what what are you trying to push them closer? Yep. Yep. I always have enough food for the day with me for that very reason. If I get into one of those scenarios where, um, where I can, 
you know, definitively say, I know where they're at. I know what they're doing and they're not, not being responsive, um, to any, anything. I'm just going to camp. And I'm going to assume that that, you know, if the scenario is right, I'm going to put myself in a position where I think they're going to go next, provided the wind and everything else is going to cooperate. Now, if, if I think he's going to bugle when he gets up with his cows and, and starts to moving off, which is typically the scenario, then um, that's that's my plan. If the wind is stable enough, I'll I'll crawl in or move in on the herd until I can see tan, till I can put eyes on something, and then wait them out. Because the likelihood of that bull getting up and checking his cows is high. And if I'm in a position where I can um, get an arrow in a bull, if he comes over to my side of the herd, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do that. And a lot of guys don't do this, but this is one thing that I do pretty religiously when I'm moving in on, on a herd of elk is I'll, I'll move about two, two steps at a time, you know, say, a yard and then I'll use my binoculars in the timber and, and glass, you know, a hundred yards ahead where my naked eye can't really pick apart that ear flicker, that little bit of a tan, butt. where with a binocular, you're like, Holy shit, that's, that's, that's fur. Yeah. And I'll get to that point. And I think a lot of guys just kind of walk, towards or or whatnot but i mean i've done that several scenarios where i've gotten in close and that bull is going to be the most active you know during the rut in terms of on his feet and moving about and if you get to the edge of a herd chances of that bull coming and and walking past you in a in a scenario is is much greater the cows are going to bed down and they're going to typically stay bedded down you know, you get that occasional cow that gets up and kind of feeds over and is bored, whatever. You know, I don't know what goes through their head, but there's always a couple cows on their feet kind of picking through some green stuff, chewing on whatnot. But that bull's going to get up. He's going to maintain a perimeter around the cows, make sure that no bulls are coming in and and whatnot. So that's that's one of the things that I do. And, and using your binoculars in the timber and just, I mean, like one one yard at a time, getting in closer, getting in closer, getting in closer gives you a high likelihood of getting, you know, they're, they're typically going to bed in a, you know, in, in timber on a, you know, in some kind of thick cover or something that's going to keep them from being out in the open in the sun and stuff like that. So that's, that's my play in that scenario. All comes back to patience. Patience. Yep. Don't force anything. You know, I'm I'm not a call to your heart's content kind of a guy because that just it's irritating I think to the animals and you're more likely to push them off or push them out and they're gonna leave silently. Um, I'll try a couple calls if they don't work. It's not like I keep trying. I stop. Yeah. And if I know they didn't leave, that's when I kind of maybe make the move to crawl in and try to get on them. Yeah. So I like it. Very well uh, answered question there, Ben. I like that a lot. Let's see here. Uh, early season, say, you know, early September or late August, you know, some of these states open up, weather's hot. 
bulls aren't talking much. What what does a day tip what would a day look like for you in that scenario? Are you gonna be more stationary stuff? Or are you gonna be just not hunting much midday? Spending more time. If glassing? I have a beat on a bull, if I have a beat on a bull, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to, you know, systematically move in closer and closer to maybe what he's doing. I'm not just gonna throw myself into his bedroom. I'm going to slowly work in giving myself the opportunity to see where he's at, what he's doing and not blow him out or blow his cows out or his bachelor group out. So, you know, like I have, I know um, there's been one basin that I'm hunting this, this fall, the first few days of season that I, I, um, there's always good bulls in there. There has been every year for the last several years. And I have, a, a string of cameras through that and I haven't been able to get up and glass on it, but my cameras are doing my work for me right now. They're gathering my Intel. Now, um, I have another spot where I've located a bachelor group of bulls and they're in a, a very predictable spot. It's, you know, they're, they're down the hill to feed and water at night. They're up the hill onto a bench to bed and I don't have cameras there, but I want to, I want to be able to put eyes on that. So like leading up to the opening day, I plan on maybe spending an evening or a morning glassing from one of these locations to put that next step in my plan together without any Intel, you know, I stay out of a given area. But if I have intel, I'll start to move in. Yeah. And, you know, lightning striking twice, a bull walking down the same path early season is more likely than come 10th of September, 15th of September. So it's almost like an early season whitetail play or, a, you know, something that's predictable because the more into the animal's breeding season you get, the more likelihood of... um just being completely random you it becomes so does that does that kind of answer your question i mean i don't just go sit on a ridge and and hope a bull walks by i have a plan yeah having a plan is the first step um not everybody has the time or ability with a work schedule or a family schedule to do that or non-resident or yeah yeah non-resident but that's the thing is, is if, if your first day there is your first day off of vacation, the, the first day that you can hunt doesn't have to be your first day off. If you can put yourself on that glassing knob, those elk are going to be unmolested until season opens. Yeah. And there's a higher likelihood of them not doing anything in that first, first days prior to season. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think, I mean, me, those most important days are the days leading up to the season to have that plan. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So here's another scenario. Uh, let's say, so two different scenarios here. One is a bull with a group of like 10 or 15 cows. He's, 
full rut, screaming his head off. There's a lot of commotion, a lot of action, maybe, you know, a lot of distraction as well, but you got more more eyes there. Second scenario mm-hmm. is, you know, two two or three lone bulls just kind of feeding together, no, not rutting, just kind of in a small little bachelor group. All, all things being the same, all the train conditions, you know, the same. What, what would you do? Would you go left or you go right? Do you go for the bull with the 10 cows or a couple bulls, you know, by themselves? Well, I mean, I think when an, when an animal is by himself, he's, he's a lot easier to stalk. Um, if, if, if I was walking into the scenario and I had both options and, um, let's say the bull with the cows was the same size as one of the bulls on their own, mm-hmm. I would probably go after the bulls on their own. Okay. Um, I mean, cows are always going to be straight laced. They're not affected by the rut. They don't get love drunk like the bulls do. Um, the cows are pretty sharp. In other words, a lot of eyes. The, too. the cows, the cows are your nemesis when, when you're trying to kill the bull in the rut. The bulls, when they're on their own, I mean, it's not like they have any really, I mean, once a bull is mature, it's, there's a high likelihood he's not going to die from a mountain lion or just because of their sheer size or a bear or something like that. I mean, in the winter, obviously, they become susceptible to to be, you know, predation from wolves and whatnot because a, a group of animals is working as a team is, is definitely going to be lethal in a bull scenario. But they, they're definitely cautious, but they have fewer natural predators. Yeah. And they're typically hanging out with other bulls and they're putting themselves in scenarios and they're putting themselves with other, their peers to, you know, protect against danger. So a group of bulls, that's the same number as a group of cows and one bull. It's, 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 it's a ratio of eyeballs. You know what I mean? The more eyeballs, the more noses, the worse off you are. Yeah. In terms of being successful. So, um, I mean, that's, that's just kind of the nature of it. Yeah. Yeah. For me anyway. Yeah. So. No, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, let's see here. Are you, would you take a frontal shot on a bull? Um, yeah, it would have to be a, a perfect storm, a perfect scenario. Um, I see a lot of these guys take frontal shots and, and do okay with it. Um, I per- personally have not taken a frontal shot um, on an animal, but I mean, sub 20, not alert, you know, body facing me, not necessarily looking at me. I mean, if it was a 10 yard animal and he was staring at me in the eyeball and I was at full draw and I didn't have to move much, um, I would take that frontal shot. But I mean, even, even at close range, elk are fast. Elk are as fast as a whitetail. But the thing is, is their body is three times as big, so they have to move three times as far to clear the vitals from that point of impact of that arrow. Yeah. So it's it's a good. I mean, people people, you know, anything over twenty yards, I wouldn't take a frontal. Yeah. 
20 yards and in, yes, I would. Under the right scenario, conditions, all that yep. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. At 20 yards with an elk staring at me in the eyeball, like all yoked up and like ready to bolt, like at a moment's notice, I probably wouldn't take that shot. Yep. Yep. So. But yeah, I've never. Was, I mean. I've never taken it either. I, I just, you know, I just wonder. I've, I've been, I've been watching, you know, uh, part of it for me was like just knowing the anatomy, where to shoot. You know, I was never confident in knowing like, hey, what do I, where do I put this arrow, you know? But after, I think yeah. that kind of helps as well if you're unfamiliar with that to kind of watch some of those videos that showcase that and then, you know, then play the yep. scenario. What's, what's, what's going on? Exactly. So what, uh, just from a pure action standpoint, just, you know, good days, you know, or what you see is maybe like a pattern as far as weather, like, would you rather hunt, you know, something that's snowy, nasty, you know, shitty weather conditions, cold, or do you see more action on the, on the bluebird days? Or is it kind of a mix of both hunting after or before front? I think stability and pressure definitely lend themselves to more movement. Um, leading up to a front, I mean, obviously these animals have an internal barometer that they can sense a, a storm coming in, so they're going to definitely maybe key in on food more. But, I mean, me personally, um, I like I like to hunt comfortably. Um, I'm I'm more efficient. It's easier to be patient when it's not freezing cold. Cause you don't have your body telling you that, Hey, my fingers are numb. You need to do something <laughs> physical to, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. I mean, I can't hunt the way I want to hunt when the temperature starts dropping. If it's to the point where I, I'm not dressed appropriately. Um, but that being said, I feel like, Animals definitely move with inclement weather, sometimes more, but a lot of times it's it's to hunker down. You know, they're they're putting themselves in the in a more of a survival mode. If you're talking cold temperatures and snow and stuff like that, rain I don't think affects them hugely. I mean, I think that they might move into the timber. I mean, getting wet's getting wet. You know. Yes. It's, it's if it's warm, wet wet isn't gonna kill you. So, so you like the bluebird days, man? Going in there? Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a high pressure guy. Yeah. So nice. Good stuff. You know, if, you, if you're talking rifle season and and elk movement, you need you need cold, blustery, you know, stuff to to keep them needing to stay on food, keep them moving. But I mean, I'm I love bow hunting, and I'd rather hunt nice weather you know i'm a i'm a i'm a whiskey whiskey and camp guy on snow days so <laughs> recovery day right <laughs> exactly or dehydrate yourself days depending on how much whiskey's involved have fun day yeah you gotta you gotta yep. mix it up a little bit very cool uh yeah and that pretty much that pretty much wraps it up for my questions we been at this a, a while a lot of good i just i just no, love yeah. hearing the long drawn out you know 
way you get into it with all the different details and it leads us to this and that and all the different facets that we've got into but that pretty much wrapped it up you know i just yeah you're, i mean you're it, a book i think of the knowledge. thing with elk and 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 you know you can apply it to anything but there's a it's not like 10 things need to happen right when you're when you're hunting it's all about details it's like mm-hmm. 150 things need to happen right yeah and and sometimes it's those last few details that make or break a hunt you know that wind needs to stay consistent for that bull to come in from this direction for me to capitalize on that and that's one of those few things that's out of your control and knowing knowing the terrain knowing what happens i mean it's it's just what it is so but i always i always love talking about the stuff and it makes me think about the scenarios that i've been in that have been successful and the ones that have been botched and it i mean i learn i learn too you know kind of thinking through a lot of this stuff talking about it yeah so. yeah I love it, man. I think I think a lot of people do the same. This is one they're gonna throw on the on the car drive over to Colorado or Montana or Idaho on the on the yeah. way out from <laughs> their their long twenty hour drive. They're gonna listen to this and be like, "Hey, I'm picking up some stuff here." I really enjoyed it, Ben. Appreciate it, man. Cool. Well, yeah. I appreciate you. Yeah, you're reaching out, having me on. It's good. It's always good to catch up and talk. So yeah, same. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about that bison hunt, man. I think that'd be really cool. I've never had anyone who's done that sort of thing before, and I'd love to pick your brain on that after after you get one on the yeah. ground. That's gonna be way cool. Absolutely. Well, let's we'll we'll talk about it. Uh, give me a call, man, or during uh, during spring show season, the the tag will still be good if it hasn't been filled yet. So I'll. I'll be able to fill you in. (laughs) I love it. All right, Ben. Well, I appreciate it, man. You take care, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Take care, Adam. Thanks again. All right, and there we go. Another episode in the books. Thanks again to Ben for coming on the show. It's always a blast having you on. Another great episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed that. I I really did. I, I thought this was pretty cool just from the standpoint of diving into specifics and scenarios and would you rather type questions are you going this way you're going that way are you doing this or are you doing that where's your priorities at what would you do in this situation day by day stuff I, I i thought that was pretty neat just to kind of dive into the specifics and and hopefully you guys learned a thing or two ben's a book of knowledge and i've said this before but if i was Ben's one of those guys, if I was on the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire show and it came down to phone a friend for an elk hunting question, I would uh, <laughs> Ben would be on my, on my list there. So uh, thanks again, Ben, and uh, good luck to you this season as well. All right, if you're out hunting, if you're out in the outdoors, whether you're rifle, bow, muzzleloader, shotgun, I don't know, primitive musket. <laughs> I hope I hope you're doing uh, good in the woods and, and having some success. It's an exciting time of year. I, nothing like September for a Western bow hunter. So I wish you all the best. And that does it. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks to our partners, Expedition Archery, Skull Brew Coffee, and Outdoor Edge Knives. Talk to you soon, and have a great day.